With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. There's no bigger fan of the Iowa Hawkeyes than Iowa's premier dish retailer, Big Dog Satellite and Solar. If you can't watch live, there's no better way to record every game than the hopper from Dish. Search or call Big Dog today and ask for the Hawkeye Tailgater Special. For one more beer for me. Exile means quality, so savagely. Best beer in all the land, brewed with a loving hand. From bottle, keg, or can, Exile Brewing, E-X-I-L-E. For me, E-X-I-L-E, let's drink football. Enjoy your exile. Bigger 10 Podcast. I am John Miller, along with Steve Dace. The Big 10 has had, I would say, a very successful opening weekend of the NCAA tournament. As at the present time, as we record this late in the evening on Sunday, three Big 10 teams are in the Sweet 16. Ohio State has an uphill challenge. Steve, give us a, just obviously this isn't an update for those of you listening, because by the time you listen to it, um, it will uh, be over. So if, if things begin to change there, you let me know. But uh, the Big Ten has put up, as we speak, 10 wins on the board. Three teams in the Sweet 16 currently, Michigan State, Michigan, and Purdue. Uh, Steve, you are the resident um, professional sharp uh, of this duo. (laughs) What was the Big Ten's win total relative to the entire tournament in Vegas? Uh, It was 10. That was the prop on the Big Ten. Their over-under was 10 total wins in the uh, NCAA tournament. And, um, you know, it's funny because I, I listen to a lot of the the, the real, you know, the, the old touts like Jim Feist and those guys aren't yeah. really around anymore, you know, because the Internet makes makes it impossible for these guys to lie about winning 90% of their picks now. <laughs> so the the Internet, so so now nowadays, you know, there's actual real accountability of what people's records are you know and and the fact that it may be the greatest handicapper of all time danny sheridan said he made his millions picking this spread right 60 percent of the time for a lifetime okay and so i listen to the guys who professionally are good at this and leading and, and i do for a couple reasons one I, I look for angles and stuff if there's things i hadn't i didn't know that i hadn't researched or, or didn't find in my own research you know the whole wisdom and a multitude of counsel thing and then i like to make sure i don't create my own echo chamber like i i i become convinced of something as an angle and so i want to hear other people challenge my my thinking to see if my thinking lines up can or if my thinking can withstand their challenges and if it doesn't i change my thinking and if it does i stick with what i have and all of these podcasts I listened to were all dunking all over the Big Ten all this week heading into the tournament. All right. I mean, several of the ones who I think are the most knowledgeable people were literally they're saying their number one goal was they're fading the Big Ten. And I would listen as to why. And I never really got a good answer. You know, and that's why I didn't change my picks and not fading the Big Ten. 
Chris Felica, the Bear at ESPN, and his podcast this week, he said his number one he said his number one best bet on his podcast was the Big Ten under ten wins in the Big Ten tournament. Number one. And now, now, I don't know why you'd make that your number one pick, even when you just looked at the bracket. And here's why: because the odds of at least one Big Ten team getting in the Sweet 16, when Michigan State and Minnesota could potentially play in the second round, right? Already made that made that under problematic just by the draw. This is the the, the Big Ten. By the way, this is the twelfth straight year. Give John Crispin at the Big Ten Network credit for this one. This is the 12th straight year the Big Ten has put multiple teams in the Sweet 16. That's a longer streak than any other league in the country. Okay? So I I watched the league all year long. I told you going into the tournament, I thought one of these narratives was going to be people forgot how good the league is because um, they've just been murdering each other for the last two months in this 20-game slog. With, you know, all these teams are in the top 40 in defensive efficiency and everything else. And and you saw that play out here this opening week of the tournament. Now, we may find next weekend, Michigan State's going to play the SEC champ in the Sweet 16. Michigan's going to play the Big 12 champ in the in the Sweet 16. Michigan State may have to play the, the SEC champ and Duke. Those two teams may have more one-and-dones combined than any two teams in the country, frankly. Okay. Duke and LSU. So we may find next weekend that the big 10 was the deepest league in the, in the, in the country, but it wasn't the best league. It didn't really have a true elite team. We may find that out. Who knows, you know, Purdue, this is their third straight year in the sweet 16, but it's also a team that tends to get this far and no more. It hasn't been to a final four since 1980. Joe barely cares, you know? So next weekend we may find out it's, Another year where the league was really deep, but uh, it doesn't have a, a you know a national champion again this year, which it hasn't had since Michigan State won it in 2000. But why people went into this opening weekend, and people whose opinions I really respect, and they never gave a really good reason. And so you know what that kind of tells me? It tells me that a lot of these professional, really good sharps like the Bear and others, these guys all hang with each other, talk with each other. And what that tells me is one of them came up with one angle or something that they like. And then the rest of them are like, yeah, yeah, I should have thought about that. Because they gave no good reasons for this. I listened for them. I, I, I was looking for, am I, what am I missing? And I never heard it one time. I mean, Felica thought Michigan was going to lose to Nevada in the second round. They didn't even play Nevada. And, yeah, I mean, part of me has the... Uh the taint from football season is still kind of left over that my wondering if ESPN is in the bag for the SEC since they're business partners. Um, but I, well, I don't think it's any coincidence, John, that since they started partnerships with the SEC two years in a row, they have pimped the hell out of putting two SEC teams in the playoffs. And now that they're about to launch a league with the ACC in August, they pimped the hell out of the idea that three ACC teams deserve number one seeds. I still, to this day, have no idea why North Carolina is a number one seed and Michigan State is not. I agree. I don't know on what metric North Carolina's resume is more impressive than Michigan State's. It makes no sense to me. Makes no sense to me either. I, I, I don't get it. 
Um, let's we we talked extensively about Iowa uh, and their game against Tennessee in this week's HN podcast. Um, if you want to listen to that, you can go back and listen to that podcast if you haven't already done so. Um, the Big Ten going seven and one in the opening round. The one loss being Wisconsin getting smoked by Oregon. I can't recall if you picked that to happen or not. No, I thought I thought Oregon was the. Cl- I've not been wrong about a lot in this tournament. No, but I was wrong about that. Yeah, um, I thought was Oregon was the classic team that plays their way in, and for every Kemba Walker, most of the time that team gets the, gets punked in week in the first game because they spent their wad, you know, getting to that point, you know. Um, but Oregon was legit. They out Wisconsin, Wisconsin, meaning that you know they were not a stereotypical Pac-12 team. They out-toughed them. They out-defended them. And, um, you know, Wisconsin shot like 17% for the game for three. And, you know, with Dana Altman always has been one of the underrated, really good coaches in college basketball. You know, what he did in this game, and I wonder if this wouldn't – if they had to play Wisconsin on day two with a quick turnaround – if he wouldn't have had time to come up with this scout, but with the four full days, they played them the way big 10 teams played Wisconsin in the second half of the season. When Wisconsin, when big 10 teams figured out when, when Ethan Happ went into February, he was the number one ranked player in terms of overall efficiency on Ken Palm in the country. And, and after February teams in the big 10 figured out, you know what? They don't have a slasher on their roster. And so every time we double team Happ, He's so good at swinging the ball weak side that Davis and Trice, one of these guys, is wide open for a three. And they're making 9, 10, 11, 12 threes a night with all these open looks. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to play a hat straight up, especially because he's a crappy free throw shooter. All right? So he couldn't put up 40 against us anyway because he can't shoot free throws well enough. So we're going to play him straight up. We're not going to let him swing the ball out to an open for an open three because Wisconsin doesn't have another means of creating any offense. And that's exactly how Oregon played Wisconsin on Thursday. And Wisconsin's offensive performance was just absolutely atrocious. It really was. Um, Michigan State and Minnesota wound up playing in the round of 32, which meant both of them won. Michigan State getting the better of Minnesota, 70-50. to 50. But Minnesota beating Louisville, 86-76. And Steve really controlling that game the entire way. Uh, not having um, Murphy be able to go against Michigan State obviously did not help them as he's one of the more impressive post players in the Big Ten in the last couple of decades. I think if you're a Minnesota fan, you got to feel pretty pleased uh, about how the season wound up. I don't think there's any question. I think 20 years from now, you know, when we're really old men and we sit down and do the all-time underrated team in the Big Ten, Jordan Murphy's going to be on it. You're talking about three times he's been all Big Ten, second team, second leading rebounder in the history of, of our league. Uh, the game they played against Louisville, that was actually a good scout by Chris Mack, you know, uh, the Louisville coach. Uh, uh, he he basically said there's no way Minnesota is going to beat a shooting threes. Right. Because they can't. Um, and, you know, there was that one game in the Big Ten against Indiana about a month ago where Minnesota hit like 14 threes and couldn't miss. 
They just played that game again against Louisville. All right. I mean, if Louisville plays that way against Minnesota 10 times, they probably in that same environment, they probably beat them six or seven times. They just picked one of the three or four times out of 10 in a single elimination tournament where Minnesota was shooting way above its pay grade, which is why in round two, I was all over Michigan state on the fade of that. There's no way I thought Minnesota was going to replicate that shooting in round two. And that's even before we found out, you know, that Jordan Murphy couldn't go. He tried to go for a couple of minutes and then uh, with the back spasms were too bad and, and they had to take him out. But overall, you know, they're kind of the helter skelter team in our league. Remember it was just two years ago. They had, they had, they tied for the single greatest single season improvement in big 10 history with nine, a nine win improvement from one year to the next, mm-hmm. you know? So, so, you know, Minnesota is in, you know, in the old, in the NFL, they used to have the fifth place schedule. And so sometimes you'd see teams go from first to fifth in the division and then fifth to first. That's kind of what Minnesota is. So I'd fade them next year. They, they tend to be in every other team, year team in our league, you know? Um, but re- regardless of what you think of the, of, of the Patino family, and I have thoughts, most of them aren't good or nice. Um, but if, if you were looking for a little comeuppance, Richard Patino punking his dad's old school, uh, who then fired him with cause for, uh, you know, using uh, strippers and hoes he apparently didn't know about uh, to recruit players. They had to feel a little vindication there, the Patino family, don't you think? A little bit? Probably so. Probably so. And we had Bill Murray here in town for that because I was in Des Moines, you know. And so everybody, myself included, was we're all worked up about having a, a Ghostbuster in the house. And and I think, you know, Bill Murray, again, it, it's been well documented since 1982. He is no fan of gophers. All right. And you saw that again. His hmm. his son is an assistant coach for Louisville. And um, I think I think Bill's had enough of uh, of those gophers. He certainly has. Um, you know, speaking of you, you doing well in this tournament, just just folks listen to this. This is with two games yet to go. Uh, to be final as we record this. What, you're 48, 16, and 2 against the spread, picking at least at least one angle on every NCAA tournament game. That's like 76, 77%. That's incredible. It's incredible. And what I mean by one angle, like the Florida-Nevada game, I played the money line, I took Florida plus 2, and I played the under. All three of those hit in that game. Okay. So, so that's why, um, and now like today I didn't really like, um, I liked Virginia plus minus 11 and on the money line, but there weren't a lot of games today where I thought there were a couple of angles to play in the same game, but I made a vow. I was going to play at least one angle in all of the games, starting with the play in games, just to see how I would do after doing a bunch of uh, doing a, my first full season of college basketball handicapping. Um, so that record, that's insane. I mean, that's absolutely insane. I mean, if, if I finished 65%, there's a chance my wife who had a tubal ligation 12 years ago might get pregnant soon. Okay. But I don't even know what happens if I finish with 75%. I don't even know what happens. Yeah, that's pretty. Like, yeah. I don't know if like I, I don't know if I make flowers grow in the yard. I don't know what happens. I don't know what happens 
if I go 75% for the whole tournament. That's really? insane. Yeah, if you go 75% for the whole tournament, she gets uh-huh. pregnant without you having anything to do with it or any other human to do with it. <laughs> It'd be an immaculate conception. That's what I mean. Right? Do I go out and just like start touching the grass and like dandelions die? Yeah. And- and yeah. the grass grows what happens flowers well, just spring up from the ground what happens when you do that now this is also on the heels of the handicapping contest that you were in in football season yes yeah i won the championship week handicapping contest at pregame.com and yeah, i won that. and how many i went games? nine and one yeah uh, nine and one those are and that was your ride or die picks with with uh with Schilling. With Kurt, yeah, with Kurt Schilling, yeah. And what was your percentage in that, I can't remember if it was CBS or whatever website that kept your picks every week? Oh, the uh, the Yahoo one. Yeah. I finished, We did, yeah, we did a contest. I forgot about that. We did a contest. You had to pick the point spread of every game involving a top 25 team. And it was on, and, it, and, and you had to pick the point spread, and it was based on confidence points. And so we had about, uh, I think, maybe 100 or 200 handicappers that were in this contest with us. And I finished first place in that, too. I think I finished like 28 units, uh, you know, so 28 games above 500 for the year. And that's and that's games I'm not choosing to play, meaning those are games I'm being forced to make a pick. Yeah. So you have that. You win that in football. Then we go to a totally different sport. We're in basketball. And as you talked about, you didn't do so well in basketball the first couple of months, but we did a podcast on that that talked about the why. And boy, have you proven that theory correct. These, I mean, dude, I don't know, but uh, we, we, need to, we need to start. We need to come up with a name for you. I mean, Jimmy the Greek, Steve the Sicilian. I don't know. Something. Which I am Sicilian, but um, well, that's you know why what? that's I why I said it. I've always wanted to be crafty. Crafty, Steve. Like I like crafty. I've always wanted to. I've always wanted someone to, to call me crafty. I just always thought crafty, crafty. I like crafty. Okay, well, we'll, we'll figure uh, we'll figure, <laughs> we'll figure something out. But you, for people that don't know what the the change I made in basketball is I started handicapping it like I did football. And I, you know, I'm always talking about when you go in there, read the line and and look at what is it they're telling you, they're not telling you or they're trying to tell you. Assume they know more than you, okay? And and I was doing that in basketball and some of these lines would be like way freaking off. You know? And then I realized, you know what? It's you can do that in football when there's 32 teams in the NFL and they only play one game a week, and there's 130 teams in college football and they only play one game a week, and and some of those weeks they're not even playing a game that you're putting a line on because they're playing an FCS team. Okay, in college basketball there's 353 teams, so you're putting a line on every one of their games every night and they're playing two or three times a week. Sometimes four, depending on a tournament. There's no, and the turnarounds are fast. Like, there's no way the lines are that. Like, the North Carolina-Washington line today was North Carolina minus 11. They won by 21. They, 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 beat, the, they beat the number by almost 
you can't, they don't have time. And, and here's the thing they also don't have time to do when a bunch of money comes in from three or four professional handicappers that know what they're doing. So-called sharps, they don't have two or three days to correct the line and move it in a place so that when the public money comes in later on, um, they can, they can put it in a place where they, they end up equal on both sides. Like tonight in the Ohio state Houston game, the public was all over Houston. I actually was on Ohio State. It just went final, and the Buckeyes didn't cover. So Vegas lost their ass on that game tonight because they put so much public money on Houston that they couldn't move the line on one day's notice like you could in a football game when you have three or four or five days you know, to move a line. So the minute I start – when I changed my prem, I didn't, like, I, I didn't just assume they were idiots – but I stopped assuming they knew more than me all the time. And what hap- what's happened is I went, I was almost 20 games under 500 on February 1st. As it stands right now for the season, I'm 55 games over 500. That is incredible. I would, l- I mean, what has your record been since then? And I can document that at pre, I mean, I pregame.com. The reason I use that at site is because, um, it keeps track of all of my picks forever if I want it to mm. so that I can, so that I can document all of this. So maybe, yeah. maybe you can put a resume together. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I'm seriously thinking about it. I, I, you know? and I, I think, politics, I think my, my, my political job right now really just comes down to every day is Cheeto Jesus saves or orange man bad. I don't need my brain to do that job at all anymore. I just don't. I don't have to do like I'm. I don't, I'm not analyzing trends or polls or data. It's just totally irrelevant now. Every day, it's just like, do you hate Trump and or worship him like me? And so I'm like pouring all of my analytical stuff that made me good at politics into sports handicapping now, and it's really working well. It is working well. We 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 need to talk more about that. Um, Maryland loses to LSU sixty nine sixty seven. Uh, I had a chance to win that game. They they won 79-77 over Belmont, so that wasn't the uh, best thing. Can't remember if it was our last podcast or earlier in this one, the last one being the HN podcast for this week. You talked a little bit about what you thought about Maryland next year. NBA probably mm-hmm. going to hurt them a little bit. It'll be interesting because I think there's a chance, like we talked in the last podcast for HN, could Iowa, if if Tyler Cook's not willing to accept a certain role, I, I think a, an argument could be made they're going to be a better team without him, given what comes back and who comes in. And we broke that down more in depth at HN. Well, for Maryland, I, Bruno Fernando is a more skilled offensive player than Cook is. He He's developed more of a repertoire. Um, but they have another seven-footer sitting there, or 6'10", thereabouts, who I think their skill in Jalen Smith, who I think his skill set as more of a stretch four five who can be a, a, a rim protector at the other end given all of those wings and perimeter players that maryland's recruited the last in the, in the last year that are so promising that i think jalen smith with those guys makes them a really difficult matchup in our league next year athletically but i i what i wonder about is i've seen him in list as a first round pick on many nba draft boards so it, yeah, for Maryland, I think if they bring Smith back with the rest of their cast, this is a team that will challenge the Big Ten title next year. If they don't bring Smith back and they lose him and Fernando, 
then you're probably looking at a team similar to this year's team, somewhere between fourth or sixth in the league and an NCAA tournament kind of a team. So this is the second year in a row now. We said this about Maryland last year with Werder and um, oh, the guy that got hurt and then went to the pros. Am I thinking of Jackson? Is that what I'm thinking of or something? But um, this is the second year in a row where Maryland's kind of the team that, that we're going to be – got to wait until May and the NBA draft deadline – because who they bring back is going to go a long way to determining how we size up Big Ten basketball heading into next season. I, I want to say this before I forget. Um, I, I saw this tweet on well, I saw it, Twitter. Um, 2019 NCAA tournament features all of the one, two, and three seeds in the Sweet 16 for just the second time ever since the bracket expanded in 85. Um, also tied mm-hmm. 2009 for the most top four seeds at 14 in the Sweet 16. So a very chalky year. Well, you know what? I gave us I gave out three trends last week on the podcast based on handicapping college basketball all year long, and those three trends have all played out in this tournament. And those three trends were number one, people slept on the depth of the Big Ten, forgot how good the league was, how much it dominated the non-conference, because everybody put too much stock into um, these teams just killing each other the last two months of a 20-game schedule. And I I think also Michigan State beating Michigan all three times, I think also made people think, well, I mean, Michigan was being, they've been two or three in the country all year long. They must not be that good either. So I think that people slept on the Big Ten I was right. That played out opening weekend. The second thing I said was the next tier conferences, meaning they're not mid-majors like a Missouri Valley, but they're not a power five. That would be three leagues, the A-10, the American, and the uh, uh, Big East. These are school. These are conferences that regularly get multiple teams in the tournament. Not, none of those leagues are as, good, are as good this year. And as we're sitting here, out of all the bids that they got, they got one team into the Sweet 16, and that was Houston, their highest-seeded team. Okay, The rest of them didn't make it. So I was right about that. And then the third thing I said was all throughout the season, seven, eight if you want to count Tennessee, but there were seven teams, eight if you want to go that far, that were just consistently way better than everybody else. And and that leads to the point and, and that you just made, and that's where the majority of that chalk comes from that meaning meaning what do i mean by that meaning we we didn't have a year where teams were going from fourth to 13th in the polls in the ap poll or in ken palm even that if you looked at ken palm on december 1st january 1st february 1st march 1st you saw the same seven teams pretty much in the top seven it was just or top eight it was just a matter of what order were they in and didn't change the entire time and so that's played it's that that we've seen that play itself out in when they've actually met uh, on the court. So all three of those trends that I gave the audience last week that were observational to this season all hit in the NCAA tournament. Now, a couple of the trends we gave that are tournament trends did not hit. This is the first time that we did not have a team from the playing round make it to the round of 32. And we also saw the, the 12s go three and one against the fives. That's as many wins as they've had against the five seeds the last four tournaments combined. So some of the tournament trends uh, didn't didn't last this year. But in terms of what I gave out on the podcast last year, John, of what the season had shown, 
we saw it play out to a T during the tournament this weekend. Ohio State wins a first round game against Iowa State 62-59 before falling to Houston 74-59. Purdue manhandled Villanova uh, on Sunday 87-61 or uh, Saturday rather. Um, and then Michigan is into the Sweet 16. 84 or 64 rather 49 went over Florida. They will face off against Texas Tech. Well, all three of those coaches, I thought, have done a phenomenal job this year. Holtman, this was a team that, what, were they picked 10th in the league last year? They finished second. Right. Uh, They finished where they picked seventh this year. And that's about where they finished. But the way that they got there, suspending his one truly great player uh, at the end of the year when they're on the NSA tournament bubble, took some balls. No doubt about that. Um. This was the year I kind of felt like you had to get Ohio State. You know, last year, he, you know, um, his predecessors, maybe the greatest coach they've ever had there and and Thad Mata, left him a couple of really good players, all right? Um, And enough that he could build a legitimate team to give him something to sell to recruits, and it worked. In fact, they ended up being more than legitimate. They almost won the Big Ten last year. This was the year, though, with those guys gone and with that, those recruits are kind of coming in in 2019, uh, 2020 and 2021. I thought this was the year you kind of had to get Ohio State. And, and they, they took on some water, but they still got to the NCAA tournament and won a game. Um, I, 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 I say this as a Michigan fan, so it doesn't bring me any joy to say this. But, you know, um, hate the game, not the player. And I like Chris Holtman the way I think he's a good basketball coach anyway. But – I think the rest of the league may wish they would have gotten drawn more blood from Ohio State this year uh, than they did, given what I think may be coming down the pike two or three years from now. Matt Painter is Matt. This is one. This I I think this might be one of the best coaching jobs I've ever seen in the Big Ten. What he did this year. I mean, you lose five thousand points. You start six and five. Your one truly great player shoots thirty. Five percent for the season. You freaking won the number one RPI league in the country, and you're in the Sweet 16 for the third year in a row. That's just, dude. I mean, that's a virtuoso performance there, you know. And and I think, but the the brilliance of what Painter did this year, I think, is embodied in the 35 percent shooting of Carson Palmer, or I'm sorry, Carson Edwards. And I, the reason why is. There were times he shot them out of games, okay? But he's really the only guy on their team who can get his own offense. And so many times, you know, even great coaches and managers, this was always the, the criticism of Tony La Russa, you know, by some metrics, one of the top three or four managers in baseball history. But he would often be criticized for overmanaging. And I think Matt Painter looked at – understood he was very self-aware in the team that he had and and what games were going to have to look like for them to win and 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 the smartest thing he did all year is not try to rein in Carson Edwards more and here's why because 
even though he shot 35% for the season, you had to respect him when he's jacking those 25 footers up because you knew based on his history that he might've shot four for 21, you know, on Tuesday night, but he could come into your gym on a Saturday or a Sunday and do to you what he just did to Villanova in Hartford in the NSA tournament. You knew that you knew, he, you knew at any point he could drop a 30 or 40 burger on you. You knew that he could, and that would lose you the game no matter what else you did. So the fact that Painter didn't rein him in, when I think a lot of coaches, maybe even his, you know, his coach, Gene Cady, as great of a coach as he was, would have felt a lot more or a lot less inclined to permit the freelancing. But the fact that Painter let it go on, I think was one of the secret sauces of their success because I'm sure as a Purdue fan, you, there were plenty of nights you were like, dude, we don't need that shot right now, okay? But because of the rep he's earned, you had to defend all of those shots for fear that this was the night he was going to take you out. And that, that created openings. So even when he's going four for 21, Noel Eastern and, and Harms and, and um, uh, who's the, Leo, the guy jump shooter whose name escapes me, those guys got single coverage looks every night because of Carson Edwards' presence. Where if Painter had reined him in more and made him conform more to an overall system, that might not have been the case. Right. And so I think that was a hell of a coaching job by Matt Painter this year. And then lastly, uh, Michigan's going to have a matchup against Texas Tech. Well, let me just say this as a Michigan fan. It wasn't too long ago we went a decade without making this tournament. And all of it was our own fault. We got involved with the booster. We cheated and got in trouble for it. But then our administration mismanaged it. And instead of taking a three- or four-year probation, virtue signaled our way to a lost decade. And this program, where it's at now under John Beeline, since 2012, Michigan has won two Big Ten regular season titles, two Big Ten tournament titles, been to three Elite Eights, um, been to four Sweet Sixteens, and two national championship games. You know, this is the first time in school history we've won 30 games in back-to-back years. This is only the second time in school history we've been to three straight Sweet 16s. And the other time was, you know, the uh, the three years, well, the two years of the Fab Five, and then the third year when we lost Weber, but the rest of those guys came back. That was 25 years ago. So what John Beeline's done here, man, is it's incredible. You know, the program, when he took over – you know, we're going to, you know, a three-point shooting team with this 1-3-1 defense. And now we are one of the best defensive teams in the United States of America. Um, now we put guys on the court that are NBA athletes. And we haven't recruited a McDonald's All-American yet, John. Did you know that? He has not mm. recruited one. Okay. He's put like nine guys in the NBA and none of them were McDonald's All-Americans. So... In some respects, this has kind of become, with his style of doing things, and I think you're the one that I've heard make this comparison first, 
he's kind of taken the he's the Bo Ryan now, where there's a system in place. He's such a respected coach. The names change year in and year out, but you just know they're going to be pretty much a top four team in the league pretty much every year now. You know, mm-hmm. so you know as a as a Michigan fan, you know, and it's just the little things too, like. Even as heated as the rivalry is with Michigan State, I was watching footage of him coming down the tunnel after doing a post-game interview on Saturday, and Michigan State's getting ready to take the court, and he's talking to one his SID, and he stops, and he goes over and wishes Michigan State good luck out there on the court. You know, it's just um, if you were trying to draw up, who is the quintessential coach you'd want to play for? You'd want to represent your school. You'd be hard-pressed to come up with a composite more impressive than John mm-hmm. Beeline. Yeah. Doing a miraculous job there. Um, Nebraska is down 15 points in the NIT. I bring them up because they may be a few minutes away from a coaching change. They might let Tim Miles sleep on it. And if uh, internet reports are to be believed, Nebraska may be hiring Fred Hoiberg as their head coach. Hoiberg laid the Chicago Bulls before that at Iowa State as a coach. Also a storied career there. Hometown boy, Ames, Iowa, family still there. Mom and dad, rather. What do you think about the potentiality of that hire for Nebraska? On one hand, off the cuff, I think it's a fantastic hire given the history of that program. The fan support there in that facility is fantastic. And I think Fred's a good coach. What do you think of the hire if that's what happens? I think it's the best possible hire they could make. Yeah. That's realistic. I think um, he could do much better at the same token. And, you know, I, you'll recall, because I said it to you on the podcast, I thought it was a poor choice for him to take the Bulls job. Uh, with the team he had coming back to Iowa State that year, I thought he should have come back for that team, which, you know, was probably, a, if it was, was it Niang or Kane who sprained his ankle in the Sweet 16, if I remember right? Um, but one of those guys sprained their ankle in the Sweet 16. They were one sprained ankle away from, I think, uh, beating Shabazz Napier and UConn and getting to a Final Four. Um, I, I think he should have come back for that one last year and he could have gone to the Minnesota Timberwolves where they were going to get another top two or three pick. They had already had two picks. Organization he had already played for, uh, GM for, uh, much more stable ownership, not nearly as uh, persnickety as the Bulls management has been, back to breaking up Michael Jordan and that era of dominance. And I didn't think it was going to work for those reasons. And I turned out to be right about that. Um They'll be better, but I don't think he can even be as good as he was at Iowa State for a couple of reasons. One, the league is too deep, number one. Two, he kind of, you know, when when he turned Iowa State into trans for you seven, eight, nine years ago, that was kind of new, you know? And so Iowa State was getting its pick of the litter of transfers. And guys from major programs, Michigan State, Ohio State, you know, big-time schools. Well, what's changed in the, since Hoiberg did, in, introduced that to Iowa State 
is now almost 40% of college basketball players will transfer at least once in their careers. Hmm. I mean, go look at Jeff, go look at Jeff Goodman um, of, of, uh, of, of, of uh, the stadium's Twitter account. In the last week, it's essentially after every one of these mid-major schools loses in the NIT or in the NCAA, their leading scorer is transferring. Right. Okay? So I, I don't think, you know, he, he has less of a recruiting base for Nebraska than at Iowa State because prior to him being at Iowa State, they were an NCAA tournament regular program. You know, Nebraska's got one NCAA tournament win, I think, ever, ever. So he's got less of a recruiting base. He doesn't have the niche of he's that one transfer you. Lots of schools. Hell, Kentucky, Kentucky's taking transfers now. Walter, you know, and the one and done's going to go away here soon, too. And what that means is when the one and done goes away, well, <laughs> what, what that means is everybody's going to move down a recruiting notch. Because the Kentuckys and Dukes and North Carolinas they're going to go from recruiting the top 15 to 20 guys to recruiting the top 25 to 40 guys because those other guys are going right to the NBA. And that means then that the Michigans and Michigan States in our league, they're going to go from recruiting the top 25 to 40 guys to recruiting the top 40 to, to 75 guys. You know where I'm going with this? Okay. Mm -hmm. Every Everybody's going to move down a notch when that happens. So, you know, he's got less of a recruiting base a much deeper league you know he was coaching in a league that's really good but it's also a league that kansas won 14 years in a row you know so you know there was a lot of a lot of opportunity to be the second place team in that league i don't know that he'll ever do better in fact i guarantee he won't he'll never do better than what was it 13 conference wins tim miles said last year mm -hmm. he'll never do better he'll never do better than that not even in a 20 game league schedule he won't do better than that so you know if i had to guess it's family considerations it's the it's the closest he can be to ames to iowa without competing against them you know right um so he's coming back home and and it's a place where if 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 every year they're the seventh eighth or ninth seed in the state tournament their fans are going to be orgasmic okay cool that's probably about what you're going to be. Yep. All right. That'll wrap up this installment of the Bigger Ten Podcast. For Steve, I'm John. We'll talk to you soon.